This episode of Blaster Podcast is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Fuck. Happy October, scientists! This is your old pal Dottore Bellordo, man of science, here to welcome you to Blaster Podcast's very first two-part episode. Why is this legitimate science podcast being broken down into fun-sized morsels? Because, Dottore, today's <laughs> guest is Ken Height. Uh, my idiot roommate, Mark Soloff. I don't like being in the room with you at the same time. Here. Talk to this. Oh. Adduces. For those of you listening, uh, it's a little pumpkin dressed like Dottore. Uh, I'm Pumptore Doctoburn, and welcome to our two-part episode on cannibalism. Uh, I'm sorry, what are you? I'm a vegetarian. Okay. I feel tired all the time. You know what, I'll take it from here. Hot dog. The episode you're about to hear features game designer and writer Kenneth Height. He's the author of Knight's Black Agents, The Trail of Cthulhu, and numerous other books and tabletop games. Uh, check out his very intelligent podcast, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. And if you would like to support our intelligent podcast, simply go to... Patreon.com slash Blastropodcast. Don't interrupt me. Patreon.com slash Blastropodcast. Close enough. Put a candle in me. Uh, nope. Uh, yes. known in some circles as anthropophagy, but laymen know it as cannibalism. Ken, what is anthropophagy? Anthropophagy, from the Greek anthropos, man, and phagine, to eat, means eating man, or woman, or babies, eating... or transgender people, I suppose. But it's anthropos in the broader sense of eating one's fellow kind. So the term has expanded from human eat human to any species eating of its own species. That makes sense. Yes. Because such a thing exists beyond the world of man. Absolutely. Much depravity in nature, this is only part of it. I'm glad that you mentioned the aminal kingdom. Are there aminal cannabis? Uh, yes, there are. Um, it has been found in pretty much everything from rats up to chimpanzees. Uh, Jane Goodall uh, mentioned some bad chimpanzees when she was out there amongst the apes that ate of other chimpanzee and were not at all what she wanted to see with chimpanzee land. And obviously there are other uh, sharks and insects, of course, are eating each other all the damn time. Mm -hmm. uh, praying mantis famously devours its bride, or rather its its groom, I think. The yes. bride that devours the groom. The lady. The lady. The As do the black widow spiders. Exactly. So... You've got plenty of uh, anima on anima, and uh, as well as mano on mano uh, cannibalism. Is that Spanish for hand on hand cannibalism? It is. It is. But how else would you would you eat it? Once you've gone to the to the depths of eating human flesh, are you really gonna go back to the knife and fork? 
No, is that what you're going to do? No, no. you want to It's going to be it. like Henry VIII and a turkey leg. Ugh. Although we do not know that Henry VIII was a cannibal. We just know he was Welsh. So, so I mean, so. <laughs> string the beads together. <laughs> exactly. Paint a picture. Follow the money. Exactly. And the mysteriously disappearing rich people. So here's an interesting thing about how the animals will eat upon each other. It has different motivations depending upon uh, the situation of the animal. For Hemplo, as we mentioned, with certain bugs, I guess they're not technically bugs, uh, spiders and scorpions, uh, the female will eat the male after mating. Theoretically, this uh, gives her more nourishment, more power to grow them eggs. Right. And crank them eggs out. However, there have been observances within the shark world of embryonic sharks devouring their fellow siblings in the womb. Interuterine cannibalism, in which case it's sort of the biggest, strongest, meanest one gets to live, and that theoretically prepares it for the life ahead, being a shark. A little evolutionary pressure. I guess if you're evolved to never stop eating, the sooner you start never stopping eating, the better you're going to do. <laughs> That's right. So while it boils down to always the same hideous deed, essentially to nourish one, uh, there are different reasons for the season. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, not all, it's not all just tastiness. There is, uh, as you say, just straight up, uh, you know, program to do it for making your babies strong. There's a, a evolutionary pressure like we were talking about. And there's just plain old com competition for resources that sometimes starts... Before they're before the starting gun has gone off, maybe before you understand what a resource is, right? So you have uh, all manner of things that if they give birth to some vast number of of eggs or a vast number of young, too many hatchlings happen, too little food. Well, Mother Nature has done the math for you. You don't have to. Are you addressing the whelp when you tell that rest of that sentence? I, I may be addressing all of them. Yeah, the poor whelp. Yeah. Um. Good. Well, we've gotten that animal shit out of the way. Boring. Now let's get into the real, interesting, sticky, sinewy viscera of this topic. People! What is the deal with these people? Kent! I understand there's many reasons and types of human cannibalism. What's, what's our favorite type? What's the type that society will accept the most? The one that... People will generally, well, they won't probably invite you around a lot after they've heard the story one time, but they won't clap you in jail for it either, is what we like to call, and by we, I mean you survival cannibals, like to call survival cannibalism. Survival cannibalism! Because that sounds like a, that's a reality show, right? You know, survival cannibalism. Mm -hmm. or a Or a fad. You know, I'm into survival cannibalism and CrossFit. It's like a diet. Yeah, yeah it is. Paleo, survival cannibalism. Survival cannibalism. That's what I do. It's my thing. So the uh, survival cannibalism is if you are in a extreme situation, a plane crash, a shipwreck, uh, a bungee jump, a siege by the hated Nazis, whatever it happens to be, then in order to survive, uh, you will perforce eat human flesh. And ideally, you will eat the human flesh of people who have died from the privation before you were forced to help them along. Because if you help them along, at least if you do it in the British Navy, you're still going to get hanged. Really? Really, yes. Murdering Wait. someone to eat them, even if everyone agrees someone is got to be eaten, is still murder. Because <laughs> the British, looking at their subjects, say, we should nip this in the bud. Right. We can't, can't be like the Germans, who will just take any excuse to start eating each other. We have to put a, put a clamp down on this and stop it. And that 
is it was British Admiralty law then, and I certainly hope it is British Admiralty law now. But if you know the the if the uh, cabin boy turned up dead in the wreck, you don't get prosecuted, which after all is the important thing, right? Because I mean, you know, if you go through all the trouble to moita someone, and then you wind up getting hunged. Nobody wins. Yes, it's a, it's a waste of protein. Yeah. So you have, uh, most famously, you have the uh, crash of the um, uh, Chilean uh, soccer team in the Andes uh, that was made into or uh, Uruguayan rugby team. Flight, 6-1. Uh, 571. 571. Uh, the crashed in the Andes and uh, was made into a best-selling book, Alive, and a number of movies, also probably all called Alive or Crash in the Andes or your Uruguayan rugby team disguised as a Chilean soccer team for reasons known only to themselves. Uh, in America, of course, there ain't no party like a Donner party because a Donner party don't stop till almost everyone is dead. <laughs> My favorite uh, response to the Donner party is that uh, uh, now what's actually it occurs to me backing up slowly <laughs> is Alfred Packer part of the Donner party or is he his own? Freelance cannibal. Alfred Packer. He was the inventor of the computer. and uh, Of the uh, Green Bay Packers, I think <laughs> is what he invented. Alfred Packer was the one that um, those uh, South Park boys made a comedy musical about. Yes? He was not a Donner Party. And he was just a different guy. I think he was a different man. Well, he was another guy who was escorting people over a mountain pass. And there was a snow. And there was some discussion as to whether or not he had lived up to the spirit of the British Navy by waiting for everyone to die, or had simply helped himself. Maybe he was possessed by the Wendigo. At the, it could have been. An interesting sidelight. Uh, the, uh, but the, the judge at his uh, trial... Judge Reinhold. Possibly Judge Reinhold, or um, uh, Judge Judy. Or Judge Dredd. Or... Um, we're out of judges. We're out of judges. We're already out of judges. All you need is three for comedy. That's right. Judge D would just be over-egging the pudding. Ugh. Yeah. I hate an over-egged pudding. You do. You do hate that. That's why it becomes a custard, first of all. I do like an over-put egging, though. That's always good. <laughs> just be egged right over the pud. That's how you don't want to uh, be egged. Let's, let's avoid any more pud talk. <laughs> let's do it. On this podcast. On cannibalism episode, <laughs> of all things. But at any rate, the judge who was sentencing Alfred Packer said something to the effect of, there were only six Democrats in the whole county, and you ate four of them. <laughs> <laughs> was the judge a member of the Democratic I Party? I believe he was. I believe that he was a partisan and also against cannibalism. Most Huge loss that day. It was. It was a terrible, but it was, I guess, good for the tax rate. Anyway, um, so there is, uh, there is an ongoing tradition, perhaps tradition is the wrong word, of individual mountain men eating... Enough mountain men that they became individual mountain men again. <laughs> and then that, I guess, leads us into the question of uh, cannibalism for other reasons besides survival cannibalism, right? Well, or I'm... does it? Do we still want to stick around? Because there's plenty of more examples of survival cannibalism. Obviously, the Ukrainian uh, genocide, when the uh, Stalin was killing all the Ukrainians, they would, in sort of good communist spirit, everyone would eat. Other people's family members oh. rather than their own. Were the family members already deceased? Sure. Yeah, let's say sure. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, the gulag was full of cannibalism. Lots of people who, uh, I guess he escaped, but there's meat, so don't ask questions. No, gulag, that's one of those uh, big orcs, right? It is. It, it, inside the big orc. Is he the one Luke Skyhopper killed with a fence? <laughs> He's the one that Luke Skyhopper 
killed with a stern talking to. He's like the Hannibal Lectern of the Star Wars universe. He can make you swallow your own tongue just by talking at you. Just by talking at you. I think that I think that's more of a Qui-Gon Jinn thing. I always think that he had stuff going on, and that's why he didn't get to be a, a ghost afterward. Do you think that um, Kaganjin was a cannibal? Well, he believed that there were midichlorians. Do you think that's why he picked up that tender young boy? I think that's exactly why. It wasn't about many. He just made that midichlorian nonsense <laughs> up. He's just like, oh, that kid's going to be good. S- space feast. Lightsaber spitted. Because <laughs> the good thing about that, obviously, is it roasts as it cuts. Oh, yeah. It's like the Hamilton Beach. Uh, lightsaber. You you want to get yourself one of them? You know, I wonder, get you a lightsaber that can do both. I wonder if the arid climate of Tatooine really locks the moisture in by leathering the external skin of the animal. Could be, could be like Moroccan food. I don't make Moroccan food. You don't make Moroccan food. I play music with a Moroccan. With a Moroccan, but the uh, but that's what the evaporators are for is to provide that tagine like uh, constant <laughs> marinade. <laughs> what if Tatooine is, is there's secretly like a, a moon base observing them filled with businessmen and Tatooine, all its inhabitants who are drinking that blue milk, they're actually just You know what of, that blue milk is? That's a marinade. That's an internal marinade. Oh, it's yogurt and it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, herbs. It's delicious. Oh, they think that their young men go off to the academy, but what's really happening is they're getting packaged and sent to be eaten by the Vujan Yang. Or by Jabba the Hutt, frankly. Yeah. I suspect he's, you know, sort does, of taken a little off the top. You does know. he frankly eat them? I think he eats <laughs> them frankly, earnest. which is to say grinds them up, puts them on a hot dog bun, smears them with mustard and relish, and goes to. I'd do it. Yep. So survival cannibalism. Right. I think it should be mentioned. It's not just something people do for fun. We are making much hay with this. Uh, but when put into dire circumstances, people have proven that they are capable of so wanting to live that they will ingest the flesh of their fellow human beings, which is a really difficult thing to imagine if you put yourself in that situation. So don't do it. Yeah, don't start imagining it, because (laughs) then it's going to be like you can't stop imagining it, and you... Start putting it into stuff, and then people invite you on podcasts to talk about it, and it just, it does, it's no good. Ken, put down that fork knife. Mm. The knife. But but you have blueberries here. I do. Why do you think I laid out those blueberries? <laughs> right. It's because they're uh, delicious. If they start to look like little detore bodies, no. as you know, I am a very spherical man. You are, and um, azure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. Survival cannibalism, it's a bad trip. Right. But. But. Seems to be okay. If you if the chips are down and you tried everything else, it's okay. Do they still go to hell? I guess if you don't eat the Pope, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I don't think you're allowed to eat the Pope. I don't think you're allowed to eat most people. He's like that uh, thing of fat in the baked beans. So is the Pope? Is it like is is like the eating the Pope? Is that like eating pork? If you're Jewish, yeah, or Muslim, right, yeah, or, or Muslim, or. I don't know who else doesn't eat pork, but somebody. Pigs. Pigs. Pigs will probably Although cannibalize pigs each will other. And, absolutely. You know they're just waiting for a chance. I saw that movie. They're trouble. They're trouble. Yeah. They're so much like us. Right. Which is why the Polynesians uh, traditionally, and Melanesians traditionally called human flesh long pig. Oh. It's because there's two food animals on this island, and one of them is a pig, and the other is that guy. It's longer than a pig. It's longer than a pig. That's pretty gross. Yeah, but you know, it I think it it's it's nice to have a polite term for it. A euphemism. <laughs> yeah, cuz it would feel terrible if you called it, you know, um Steve 
And then Steve's staying there. I'm right here. Yeah, I'm just it's just a generic term for human flesh, Steve. It's just a term. We're just going to eat Steve. That's what we're going to do. And then if you just call it long pig, then I was like, oh, that, it probably just means a longer than normal pig, or at least not me. Right. Yeah. And then Steve's house is up for rent. Exactly. Everyone's happy. Let's move away from survival cannibalism and into the next hut. <laughs> Krem, we have learned about survival cannibalism, but there's other forms of cannibalism out there that exist just the same. Sometimes the societois in which you live actually encourages the cannibalistic deed. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Are you a trumpet? <laughs> You, I'm not not a trumpet. Are you Why? the Longhorn of the law? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The Robin D. Law. The Robin D. Law. I am his Longhorn. Can <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about learned or customary cannibalism. This is a form of cannibalism that people teach each other to do. Yeah. You don't just do it because you're desperate. You do it because it's the holiday season. Right, because it's a happy time of cannibalism or a festival time of cannibalism. Or, and this is an interesting thing that has been posited by people who posit things, lots of people all over the world globally carry a genetic marker that keeps you safe from prion disease, right? Or it, it limits the effect of prion disease on you. I did not know that. But for our audience, who are all scientists... All of them scientists. Let me just reiterate that a prion is a rogue strand of protein that is responsible for degenerative diseases such as bovine encephalosponginiform disease or mad cow disease and our favorite cannibal disease, Kuru. Kuru. So... Go look up prions. They're terrifying. But Ken, you're saying that some of us are resistant to the rigors of prions? I'm saying that we are, not necessarily as a species, but a lot of us carry a genetic marker that apparently is associated with resisting prion disease. And the argument is that you don't evolve a resistance to a disease you don't be getting a lot. And since there is archaeological, or I guess technically paleontological evidence of cannibalism amongst Neanderthals, and cannibalism amongst early cave homo sapiens who maybe were eating the Neanderthals and then maybe eating other stuff around the Neanderthals like each other, like Steve, that we began, much like those bad chimpanzees out in Jane Goodall's forest, eating people more often than not, and that it might have just been a way to keep the man-eating tigers away because if they're attracted by the smell of dead people, which they are, then the best way to keep the man-eating tigers out of your camp is to make sure all the dead people bend on Ben Eaton. It's probably easier to eat a man. It's probably easier to eat a man than it is to bury him. Certainly in the Ice Age, yeah, everything's very cold. That that top frost that they yeah. have to get through? Yeah. And, you know, their, their bad shovel technology? Right, as in none. And then you none, break, just break, sharp rocks. Break through that permafrost, you're going to let out all the carbon. And then all the global warming conspiracy nuts are going to go nuts on you. So, you're saying that it perhaps had a survival element in the uh, pre-enlightenment. Yes, yes, before 1600. <laughs> uh, the Battle of Hastings. Before the Battle of Hastings. We better eat everyone all these was dead a cannibal, bodies. But then they stopped. The argument is that uh, because uh, of this genetic marker, it was more common than not in human populations 
uh, back in the before time, the long, long ago, and that it was only once we developed uh, maybe farming, possibly domesticating animals, that we had enough food lying around that we didn't have to eat our own dead as a cultural survival mechanism. So that leads to the interesting question of, is cannibalism always and everywhere considered wrong? And we know that in the we in Western society, we're, we, we cast a wary eye on it. Mm -hmm. In China, it is a almost, uh, even if anything, it is an even stronger taboo uh, culturally. But it does not seem to have been in many another society around the world, going all the way up from the Aztecs down to your simple folk on New Zealand or New Britain or any of your news out in the Pacific Ocean. Well, I mean, I suppose if your society demonizes cannibalism, that's a little bit of protection. Because if you celebrate cannibalism, I mean, what's to, who's to say that you or yours are not next upon the plate? True. It's uh, much like demonizing killing a guy because he's got a podcast. We don't yeah. do that. Yet. No, we don't do that, Ken. <laughs> yes. We don't do we that. We don't do that. Um, but if you suddenly disappeared, there would still be the Canadian branch of your podcast. That there, yes, have we have destroyed. a backup. We have a backup half. Ah, oh, boy. Yes. So certain cultures have practiced cannibalism in the past and not so distant past. And there are different types of practiced, learned, customary cannibalism that we find. Endo-cannibalism means the consumptions of members of one's own group, eating your own group. Eating your own group. So eating members of your own group uh, typically would be found within funerary rites, right? Like if it's your own group, it's probably not too cool to just bonk a guy and throw him in the oven. But... If, you know, it's a dead guy already eating him, there's uh, some degree of idea that you are honoring him or you are gaining some of his energy or his spirit will help you uh, or any kind of any of that bad shit stuff. Right. Yeah, there's there's elements of that in a lot, a lot, a lot of cultures. And it's not all, you know, headhunters in Borneo or wherever. A lot of it is, you know, uh, ceremonial that you only eat really awesome people. You don't eat Joe Normal. Because they don't have any special power, but if a really great warrior or priest or king dies, everyone might get a little taste to let him stay within the community. And you see that happen in some older parts of Tibetan religion, the Bond religion. There's a uh, a uh, ceremonial eating of the tongue or nose of the corpse oh. uh, if it is a particularly uh, advanced uh, lama who has died. You want to keep that uh, a little of that uh, juju down on earth. Similarly, uh, you can argue, and it has been argued, that the sacrament of the Eucharist is indeed magical ceremonial cannibalism because you were eating the, if you are Catholic again, since the Catholics are coming in for it this show. Have I become uh, Catholic again? You're eating. Do you see the markings on me? I see them. Oh, no, I didn't take my pill. <laughs> That's grill marks. Uh, you you are eating the flesh of Jesus, and it, the Catholics are very insistent that, you know, you are not eating bread. You are eating... Honest to God, human flesh, and if you deny it, then you're the heretic, which, there you go. So, that element of thinking is not at all alien, even to Western society, where we have theoretically said, don't eat people, except Jesus. Right, except right. the person that you're supposed to really love. Right. Now, here's my workaround, Ken. All right. What if Jesus was a wafer man? Oh. He was a walking wafer guy. 
very dry, very crumbly. He could survive in that arid climate, no problem, right? Is that why he walked on the water? Is because if he'd sunk in, he would have turned <laughs> he, into into mush? He was so light yeah. that he floated on the surface like a, a thin pretzel chip. I think it's tough to crucify a wafer man. <laughs> I feel like the nails would just powder him and then he would run those, away cackling. Those hands would burst. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that your theory may have one or two problems with it over and above its terrifying blasphemy. <laughs> Blasphro podcast. Yeah. We found there our There you go. New That's iteration. your spin-off. Exo cannibalism. Mm. Now, I recall the Exo Squad, a poorly developed cartoon from the 1990s where people wore robot suits over their bodies so they could fight each other. Is exocannibalism similar in nature to that? It is, because the Exo Squad got the name of their squad, if nothing else, from the Greek word exo, meaning outside. Hence, their robot suits were outside. Exo cannibalism is cannibalism of people also outside, not just outside in the great outdoors, but outside the community or outside the social group. So, if, and this is where our Borneo headhunters come in, and the uh, Javaro in Ecuador and other people that go after enemy tribes and they eat them as a method of humbling them as opposed to celebrating them. Possibly there may be some mana stealing going on as well, right? You've got a situation where. We brought down the really terrifying warrior from that next guy over the hill, and we're going to eat him and get his strength and then use it against his old tribe. Mm. But some of it is just, you are so low, you are so not even worthy of consideration that we are going to eat you like you were a guinea pig. And that seems to have been what the Aztecs thought of it. Oh. They would have uh, people that they would capture in various wars when people would say, we would really rather not be ruled by a human sacrifice cannibal cult. And the Aztecs said, yeah, but how many obsidian swords did you bring to the discussion? And they would say, relatively few. <laughs> and so the Aztecs would take their prisoners and put them in wooden cages and display them, which does not to me sound like so much we are honoring this guy as, ha ha, we're going to eat him. Sucks to be you other places that are not Azteca. Like they do with ducks in the window of the restaurants on Argyle. Very much like they do with ducks. Because ducks have had their time in the sun for too long, Ken. Right. They're too, with their quacking and their migrating. That's right. We can't have that. They think they're rulers of the sky yeah. and the pond. And the pond. That's two elements out of four. In the Lincoln Park Zoo, you will see ducks gallivanting around, free as a jaybird. Or as a duck. Or as a duck. Is a jaybird a racist term? Um, I think it's only racist if you are a Robin or Cardinal. <laughs> Let's ask our Canadian friend. Yeah, we'll ask our Canadian friend. Uh, free as the Dickens, and they're taunting those other caged animals. They are, in their duck way. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, those are the uh, circumstances in which uh, certain societies have practiced exocannibals, and the Maori also practiced that form of exocannibalism. But the Maori they would eat are their... so beloved now. Yeah, just like all manner of people who used to be cannibals and mostly aren't. <laughs> uh, the Maori had full-on cannibalism of their enemies that was a standard thing. They ate a lot of British people, which may have been why the British took such a ugly stand on cannibalism, because they kept being eaten. Yeah, uh, it's not the Maori's fault that the British were tasty. That's just the way it is. So the uh, the Maori had a a strong exo cannibal uh, tradition, if not you know, and a, a it, maybe it wasn't an always food. Maybe it was a sometimes food. It's for your cheat day, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, 
I mean, I'm not a cannibal. That we know of. But it makes more sense to me as a man of science because the exocannibalism has a definite psychological impact upon your enemies. It says, don't F with me or I will F upon thee. Mm, no, it doesn't say that. No, it doesn't. It says, I think you may need to go back and check what cannibalism is. <laughs> and what F means. And what F means. Feast. F means feast, That's obviously. what I kind of yes, meant. right, yeah. Yeah, it says, it says, don't cross me, or I will carve you and eat you. And that's like one of the worst things. Yeah, I it's, think so. It's like one of the three major things that can ruin your day. Well, it's, it's part of a sort of full-on conquest, right? There's the, um, uh, we will take your, your women. And we will possess them. We will take your uh, crops and huts and whatnot, and we'll possess them. My gold coins. And finally, we will take not just those things, but the actual only thing you truly possess in the world, your body. And we will take that and possess that, too, in the possessingest way you can by eating it up, ogre style. Ogre style. Ogre style. We're going ogre style on these guys. (laughs) That's what I like to say before every paintball game. It's important because it uh, puts the fear of the uh, lesser non-Aztecs into their hearts. Mm-hmm. Their tasty, delicious hearts. Normally, I play paintball against halflings as well. Halflings? Well, that's tough because they're harder to hit. They're so dexterous! Yeah! Oh my god! And plus one to hide! Right? That's crazy talk. You're playing. It's a miracle you haven't been eaten. <laughs> Speaking of people who like to eat. The good thing is I'm quite unctuous. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Is that the good thing? Does that affect flavor? <laughs> it, it affects how eager people are to eat you, I suspect. <laughs> Which is not very much. Not very eager, no. I also emit spores, Ken. Do you? Yes. You check, sporulate? Check the Blaster Podcast back catalog. The spores have unusual <laughs> the, effects. Well, thank God. <laughs> and I understand that you've um, uh, eaten a kobold. Um, so my servant, Balnaz, is a kobold. Was. And I... <laughs> Force her to eat parts of herself. There we go. In honor of my Patreon patrons. Right. Now, thank goodness for Balnaz, I don't have a lot of Patreon patrons. Well, I think that that would be a special buy-in level. Yes, special buy-in level. Maybe it's not every Patreon patron. Oh, it's every. Every Patreon patron. That, I would not have thought there'd be that much eaten on a kobold. Well, see... You go first. I mean, unless it's like one of those crap hors d'oeuvre type things where it's like, oh, no, there's crab in that. Really? Is there? Because all I'm seeing is a giant piece of cucumber. It's just a tiny shaving of kobold. Uh, just a little kobold. Just a kobold inflection. You start with the outside, you know, the fingers, the toes, mm-hmm. the outie belly button. The tail. And then, oh, there's a tail in there? There's a tail on a kobold. You know, I've... Has Baraz been lying to you? I have never been so bold as to ask her to show me the tail. Well, there you go. Uh, and then you go inside. Unless it's like, you know what? I'll bet it's like a gecko. I'll bet kobold tails, you can bust them off and they'll just grow back a new one. I like that world building. Yeah. Well, it'll help me a whole lot with any future patrons. <laughs> there you go. Because we, Ken, we've been getting down to teeth. We're getting down to the little tiny shavings of, of kobold there. Mm-hmm. And the teeth, that's really stock. I mean, you don't want to you, you don't want to necessarily eat those. You'll hurt yourself. No, I make her eat them. Yeah, but still. I ground them into a powder and served it to her in a drink. Well, it would have to be because no teeth. Oh, yeah, Can't that's, chew. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, you'd think she'd catch on waking up with no teeth that I'm about to feed her some teeth. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't. Doesn't. Well, go minus just, one intelligence. She's a kobold. Yeah. What yeah. are you going to do? She was royalty in her own kingdom. Well, there you go. She's eating royalty. She's gaining power. 
I, I think she's going to move out. I suspect you may be right. She's not crazy about our arrangement. That's certainly what you should be telling, preparing to tell the investigators when they come by. <laughs> she moved out. She moved out. Don't, Don't know, know where she went. Just left this tail and some powder. Honestly, <laughs> Ken, my pie in the sky dream is that she becomes like an robberess. And Ooh. she's just stuck eating her own tail. There you go. Which uh, would argue for that gecko system that I was talking about earlier. The gecko system. Yeah. Is this one of these games models? It is. It is. It's the gecko system. It's any game where you want to stick to the wall and um, uh, just hang there forever. That's like one of those system. family fun centers where you wear the flyman suit and jump off a trampoline into the wall of the opposite Velcro type and smack. Similar, but without jumping trampolines or suits. All right. It's all in your imagination. Exactly. RPGs. Feast of the imagination. Now, radio drama is theater for the mind. What is a role-playing jam? A role-playing jam is a jazz session for the mind. Whoa. Yeah. Because there's no script. There's no direction it's going to go. Everyone kind of knows the notes. Everyone kind of knows the chords. They know what they're trying for. But they don't have to play a certain score. They can just play what goes in. And then what comes out is ideally sweet, beautiful jazz as opposed to hideous cacophony. Yeah, like lame jam band. Or post-bebop jazz. You mean the villain from the Ninja Turtles? That's what I mean. <laughs> How did you guess? It seems like such an unlikely thing to have guessed. And yet, there you did it. That's my level of understanding of the term bebop. There we are. Excellent. Was he Also, cowboy bebop? No cowboys? Very little bebop. I feel robbed. Did you feel steved? I did not feel steved. Good. Then you I'd made it before. this all right. Yeah. right. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, The Maori? The, the Aztecs? Maori. Something like that. The flowery Maori. The flowery Maori. The Brits didn't like the Maori because they kept on eating the Brits. And because they didn't like just roll over and give New Zealand to them without uh, fighting. Mm. The Brits much preferred people to roll over and give the island up. That okay. was their way. Like those armless legless people. Exactly. On flip over island. Exactly. Uh, speaking of um, things that were colonized by the British but were cannibals before and possibly after. Uh, the internet. The internet. And the, uh, the Fiji, uh, which was known as the Cannibal Isles at the time. And oh. one king of Fiji uh, ate 872 people. And he, we know because he made a little uh, ceremonial remembery stone every time he ate someone and put it in a pile. And I assume they can go to that pile now and count the stones and say, that seems like a lot of people. That's really hideous. Now, was he doing this as an exo-cannibalistic thing? or I think it was mostly exo, but the trick I find to being a really successful exo-cannibal is defining your own in-group pretty much as people you didn't want to eat. And so if you're like the next Fiji town over and you're like, but... We're, we're endo. We can't be eaten. It's like, nope, nope, you're in the next town over. Sorry, that's exocannibalism to me. And off you go. Off to the races. Exactly. I think the way to survive in that kingdom is to be the stone man. Right. Make the most the beautiful... Magic stone carving guy. Yeah, Etsy store stones. Mm -hmm. And be like, you're never eating me. Yeah. Although you don't want to do that thing where you're, you're you know, saying, well... This last stone will be my masterpiece. Because mm. then the king's like, oh, you know where that masterpiece would look good? <laughs> right on top of the pile of stones of everyone I've eaten. I know I don't have much longer. This high-protein diet, you know, I've built up a lot of heart disease and stuff. But I think I can eat one last guy. And what better way to end it all than that guy? Kings are notorious for loving a good ending. They are. They do love a good ending. They love a good story. Mm -hmm. Ask Shahrazad. Right.
You uh, can't. You dead. Can't. Well, but not by the hand of the king. Not by the hand of the king. No, just by the hand of time as we all die, oh. with or without cannibalism. Oh, man. You really brought down this happy-go-lucky episode <laughs> yes, on cannibalism. I'm sorry. I've, I've dragged it off into the inevitable future of all species. <laughs> you know, okay, I want to... Except sharks, of course, which will last forever. The sharks are immortal. Yeah. No man can be their equal. No. I want to bring things into a, an even darker place. Ooh. Because capitalism was observed as recently as 2003. All right, Ken? Yeah. Members of the movement for the liberation of Kong, Kong, Kondo... Let's not make fun of this. Members of the... <laughs> really? <laughs> members of the movement for the liberation of Congo, or the MLC, were accused of cannibalizing pygmies in remote areas of the Congo. So apparently these guys, these fighters, did all sorts of horrible, brutal crimes uh, that did not stop with just killing people. Um, and perhaps the most disturbing of all is they are reported to have forced people to eat some of their own flesh. Forced self-cannibalism. And that happened in 2003. Yeah. And the Congo is one of those places where cannibalism seems to have been on and off. One hesitates to say endemic, but you were less startled, I guess, if you came over a hill and that these guys were cannibals. It, it was reported from uh, 1913. There was a, one of the sort of the fathers of human rights, Roger Casement, when he was in the Congo investigating the horrific atrocities that the Belgians were perpetrating on the people of the Congo, he was still writing down, that said, these guys are cannibals. And the pygmies are even worse cannibals. They'll just eat anything. Whereas a lot of the, the tribes that he saw, they had sort of strict social rules about it. The pygmies were just, nope. If it falls down to pygmy level, it's gone. It's ours. <laughs> it's a nest on the ground. And so there is a degree to which I suspect there may be a little hundred-year-old grudge uh, grudge match going on there, where it's like the pygmies ate my great-granddad, now we're going to get them, a little of that. Also, of course, keep in mind the Belgians, having caused this monstrous dislocation of everything going on in the Congo, caused huge starvation, caused huge famines, much of the cannibalism that Roger Casement saw might have just been survival cannibalism, but because he's Roger Casement, he's from Ireland, he's not an expert, he's no. not an anthropologist, he just thinks, well, these guys are eating each other. Maybe that happens all the time. Yeah. And even though he's documenting the sort of horrific uh, crimes that the Belgians are committing and have been committing for 30-odd years by the time he's documenting them, he doesn't make the sort of jump that, oh, the Belgians are basically engaging in a series of terror famines. That's why these tribes have turned to cannibalism. That said, if you're going to turn to cannibalism, you are most likely going to turn to cannibalism of the next guy over, if you can. Hence standing disagreements with the pygmies. Right. You know, when you observe, you you go over the hill and you see a bunch of dudes chomping down on some other dude, you're probably not going to stop to ask them, pardon me, is this for your survival or is this a vendetta How long thing? in years, not hours, have you been doing this? You also want to know the other one because you want to know if they're still hungry. That's right. But you want to, but you may not immediately think to ask, has this been going on for generations or just since the Belgians showed up? Cannibals. Cannibals. Belgians. Belgians. Who knew the Belgians were so rotten? Uh, everyone in the Congo. Uh, we do have um, testimony to what human flesh tastes like. 
Oh, dear Jesus. If you want to hear that. Yeah, we do. It, it also involves an alcoholic writer, so you'll be happy to know that. Ooh. Yeah. Very good. I don't know if you're planning on slipping that in at the very final end, because that, of course, is the question I think that everyone wants to know. What does it taste like? What does like? it taste like? Yeah. I guess. That is what they want to know. Yeah. Sick fucks. Yeah. Monsters. Yes. They're monsters. Dirty little beasts. Psst, <laughs> psst,